if you have a Bible, you could open it to Mark chapter 4. And if you don't have one, we've got some strategically placed in front of you. If you want to follow along there, it's page 839. Those black Bibles were continuing, continuing a series in Mark that we're focusing on this year called Follow. And uh, we're just looking at the, the call to follow Jesus, to be His people, to follow Him and the way we live, and also the things that we do, the things we believe. And this week, the, uh, the follow emphasis is on Jesus' methods. We're to follow His methods. If, if you're like me, sometimes you may be frustrated with the patience of Jesus. You ever, you ever feel like that? Like, God, why don't you just kind of hurry it up and fix everything, right? Do you, do you ever feel that, that sense of urgency? Uh, one of the things we've talked about is that the book of Mark is the most hurried up, it is the most urgent of all the four Gospels. It's the one that appeals the most to kind of the Roman mindset of kind of get things done, move quickly. We see words like immediately that occur again and again. And then we have this slowdown here as Mark uncovers Jesus' teaching. And we're going to have a couple of parables here the next two weeks where we're going to see God's patience and the, and the organic growth that is taking place. Whereas His disciples want Him to just kind of wreck the place and start all over again, right? Jesus says, no, we have, I've got patience here and I'm slowly giving people the opportunity to repent. And so we, as His people, should be on board with His methods as well. Second Peter 3.9 is a great verse for kind of summarizing this age that we live in now. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so we look forward to a day in the future when all evil will be done away with, Right? The judgment. We, we joke about you know the vision and revelation of Jesus coming on a horse as, as the scary Jesus, right? The judgment Jesus. Like that day is coming when He is going to judge all evil. But we live in a time now where the message of forgiveness, if we repent, He will forgive us. He will wipe away our sin, our evil, and invite us into what He's doing to be a part of His family and what He's doing in the world. And so we live in that age now where we may be on His team, we've been forgiven for our sin, but we're really frustrated with the the sin and evil that's still out there, that's still happening. And we kind of wish Jesus would just hurry it up. And so we're called to follow His methods. And central to that is the, the preaching of forgiveness, the preaching of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and who He is, that we can find repentance and forgiveness in Him. And that's what we see Jesus doing here in Mark 4. So if you will uh, follow along with me, I'm going to read f- verse four or verse one through nine, and uh, I'm just going to apologize. I've got I don't know if it's like a cold or something, but I'm totally dizzy. So if you see me like start to go over the edge, run up and catch me, okay? Um, I've got like serious vertigo going on right now. So pray for me. Uh, Mark four verses one through nine. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
So we've got this charge to see what Jesus is doing, his methods here of just continuing to proclaim the word, but we've also got this dual charge that he finishes with in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. The most important thing out of all of this is that we would actually hear him. Right? We've got to follow his methods, share this truth that should be heard, but we've got to hear it ourselves as well. Let me pray for us and, and ask the Lord to, to teach us this morning. God, we ask that you would teach us. We ask that you would give us ears to hear. God, we can hear words, but we don't always, we don't always understand what you're saying. I pray that your spirit would would open us up, would tear down our resistance. God, you know uh, the bitterness, you know the anger that many of us feel this morning, you know the sickness that some of us are struggling with, you know the frustration that many of us carry into this room, and we ask you, the one that's bigger than all of those things, to open up our hearts so that we could hear you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we talk about his methods, I mean, central to his method was, was preaching. I mean, it was teaching. It was, that was what the, the casting of the seed was. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I wanted to start with um, just kind of having you think a little bit about what it's like to be a preacher professionally. Right? As Christians, we're all called to proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, but some of us do that vocationally, right? Like my, my job is to focus on that. So I'm, I'm kind of leading the church. We're all supposed to be proclaiming, but I'm kind of leading. And I, I spend a lot of hours on that and, and get to do that publicly. Get to write articles for the paper. Get to preach publicly here and then cast those seeds broadly. And as a preacher, you always know because of your conviction that God can grow things through the preaching of His Word. But you don't always feel it, right? I mean, sometimes it just doesn't feel like it. Like this morning, actually, after the first service, I felt like that was the worst ever, right? You know, I mean, you just have those feelings often. Um, uh, One of my professors actually said that it's bad for preachers to take Monday off. A lot of preachers do that. He's like, it's bad to take Monday off because you're always depressed on Monday. So it's better to take that to the office and take Friday off. So I take Fridays off, um, try to get some work done and just abuse my staff on Mondays when I'm feeling bad and down. But um, often, you, you know, you just feel kind of discouraged but this parable it encourages that you know, God really is doing stuff, right? There's going to be a lot that's not going to happen. A lot of seeds won't take root, but a lot of seeds will. God can still grow things as we continue to scatter the seed. I want to share some, some quotes that other preachers have heard. Okay, You guys are usually very encouraging to me. I don't hear a lot of this. I, I hear some of these kind of things. But usually I'm, I'm encouraged here. So these are just some things that preachers hear sometimes after a service. This is one that I love. You always manage to find something to fill up the time. How'd you feel if you just given your heart and proclaiming God's word? You always know, you know, manage to fill up the time somehow. Um, this is another one. Somebody said, "I don't care what they say. I like your sermons." And uh, another one was, "If I'd known you were going to be good today, I'd have brought a neighbor." Yeah. Another person said, "Did you know there are 243 panes of glass in the windows?" You know that wasn't here, right? That, that was. There's like five here, I think, and they're all out there. Um, and, and the final one that I thought was kind of funny is, we shouldn't make you preach so often. Kind of trying to be nice, like, you poor thing, right? We shouldn't, shouldn't have to preach so often. And so you can be discouraged, but the, the parable is, is to encourage us. I mean, I think Jesus' parable is to encourage us that this method of proclaiming the truth of who God is and what He's doing in the world actually is going to take an effect. It's actually working good stuff. Good things are going to happen. Fruit is going to grow. There's going to be a lot where it's not going to take root, 
But some will take root, some will grow. And so we need to be encouraged by that. And the first thing I see for us as we kind of follow through this logically is that we're to follow the sower himself in the act of sowing. We should be about sowing as well. Again, to uh, emphasize just these first few verses we read, we talked about this idea last week, but let's hit it again here because Mark hits it again. He says in verse 1, again, he began to teach beside the sea. Repeatedly, Mark tells us that Jesus was a teacher. Okay, As people that live in, in the 21st century, that's obvious. We all know that's who Jesus was. That's what he did. He worked miracles. He taught. But it's important. That's part of who he is. That was a key part of his ministry. He taught. Teaches beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables. We talked about this before. He physically prioritized teaching. He wanted to heal people. He healed people all the time. But the teaching was important enough that he physically separated himself from the people so that he could continue to proclaim and teach. And we talked about that last week, but that's an important thing here. He continues to prioritize teaching. The teaching must go on. And so I'm going to get in a boat and back away from the people so that I can proclaim the message. And that's an important emphasis that we see in the life of Jesus. uh, If you skip down to verse 14, Jesus begins to explain the parable, right? This parable we already read about the sower scattering the seeds. And he says in verse 14, just to clarify, we're already kind of assuming this, but to clarify, Jesus says the sower sows the Word. The Word. The Word of God. Now, there are a lot of different words for the Word of God, right? There's um, the Word, there's the Gospel, right? We've talked about that. The Gospel of God, the good news is literally what Gospel means. Um, There's the the, the message often it's described as. So there's this message, this good news of hope that we have in Jesus. And Jesus is saying, my method is to share that message, okay? To scatter the Word broadly. And like I said, it's my job as I lead the church to, to uh, be about that in a vocational sense, right? And I get to spread it broadly, but we are all to be about that. As God's people, we're to follow the sower, the one that sows the seeds, which is the Word. We're to share the Word as well, no matter what your gifts are, right? Like my gift is not necessarily hospitality. I would say my gift may be uh, teaching and counseling and things like that, but I'm also supposed to be hospitable. That, that's a command. So there's things that all Christians are commanded to do. And then we have gifts, and we may specialize and spend the bulk of our time in those things that we're gifted in, but we're still called to share the Word. I have a a picture here of of one of those spreaders. Any of you ever used a seed spreader like that? I brought the one from home that I have. I've I've used the big ones, and I also have this hand spreader that's convenient, right? You can put, like, fertilizer in here, and then it's got this little machine that spins it, right? Right? And there's different levels at which we spread seeds. Maybe you've gotten like a little packet of herb seeds and and planted seeds in one of those little herb box gardens that you put in your window. Have you ever done one of those? Right? And you you don't get the big spreader for that, do you? You know, like running over the box that's only this big. You, you just sprinkle the seeds by hand. And so, you know, there's different degrees by which we spread the seeds, okay? And so the case I'm making is that I, I may, as a professional preacher, like I might, I might be casting the seeds really broadly and having a platform here to speak and having a, a room that a bunch of people come into and you may not get that opportunity to share the seeds with as many people as I might. But we're all called to, to do that. We're all called to share the truth. Now, we should be about our gifts. We should focus on what God's gifted us to do. But we, as God's people, Peter says, should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. 
That's a key principle again. All Christians should be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within them. So I want to challenge you. Your gift may not be preaching. God may not be calling you to be a preacher. I don't want to try to force you to be a preacher, but I want you to know the basics of the gospel to be able to transmit that message at a very basic level. And I want to encourage you to write down these three uh, verses. And I can give you these after the sermon too if you don't have a pen. But there's three verses in Romans. It's often called the Romans Road, which is just a very simple summary of the gospel. I want everybody in our church to, to have those and be able to articulate that. Right? Romans 3.23 For all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's, that's our, our basic presumption. We were designed for glory. We were made to magnify God. We were made in His image, right? To be images of Him. To show how great He was. But we've all fallen from that. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. Okay, that's what it means to sin. He talked about earlier in the service during our confession time. It's not just the bad things we're not supposed to do, but also not doing the great things. We're not as great as we're supposed to be. I just don't love everybody like I should. I don't always stand up for what's right like I should. And in that, I've fallen short of the glory of God. I've sinned. I've missed the mark. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23. So Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. And hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. I'm looking up Romans 10.9 because I can't remember it exactly. Romans 10.9. See, even when you're a professional preacher, you forget some of these verses. Romans 10.9 Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a response, right? We know that we're sinners. We know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then we respond to that in faith, trusting in that. Saying out loud, I believe, and believing in your heart. Okay. And so, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9. I want all of you to know that. Again, I don't want all of you to be preachers. But I want all of you to be able to scatter the seed at some level, right? You may have the little herb garden. You may have one friend that God has called you to share this hope with. Or one neighbor or one family member. But we're all to be scattering these seeds. That, that's the method that Jesus gives us. For this time that we live in now, like I said in Second Peter 3.9, God hasn't just wrecked everything and killed all the bad people and started over again. No, God is giving time to share the hope and the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ as we march in history towards the day when all things will be made right. When all things will be made new. And that's where we're headed. The next thing that we're called to follow is the rejected one. Part of this method is that he's actually rejected. Right? The truth is rejected. Not all the seeds take. Right? There's not always growth. Again, that's why we're frustrated. That's why we want to challenge his methods and say, Jesus, why don't you just start over again, right? But he says, no, that's, this is what I'm doing. This is how it's going to work. We're going to look at this in some of the parables again next week as well. It's growing organically. Weeds and wheat are growing together. Good things and bad things are growing together. That's the world in which we live right now. And so we have to kind of face that reality, that, that pain, that there's going to be rejection. In Mark 4.10 it says, When he was alone... Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything's in parables. You ever heard that phrase, it's all Greek to me? Right? That's kind of what he's saying here. Like They just don't get it. It's just a bunch of stories. right? For you, the stories have been given, and for everybody else, it's just a bunch of stories. So he's saying there's those who hear but don't get it, and then there's those who hear. Okay? He's saying there's always going to be distinction. 
There's always going to be those that hear and reject it. As well as there's going to be those who hear and accept it and love it and there's fruit that's born in their life. It says they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. It's quoting Isaiah 6 and uh, in that place it's the charge of Isaiah to go out and preach and God is saying judgment is coming on Israel and you're going to go out and preach and a lot of people, Isaiah, are just not going to listen. And that's part of it. And that's frustrating. And that drives us crazy, right? You want everybody to listen. You're like, how could you, how could you reject something so good? How could you turn away from this grace and this life? But many are just going to reject it. Say, That's, I, don't, I don't want it. I don't want to, I don't want to go there. He explains how the rejection unfolds in verse 14. He starts kind of unpacking the parable for his disciples. He says this is what it looks like. Verse 14, The sower sows the word, and there are the ones along the path, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. We spent a lot of week, uh, a lot of time last week talking about Satan's work in the world. We talked about how there's these dramatic... Uh, what do you call them, dramatic exorcisms and things that you see in the Gospels. But as you kind of march through the rest of the New Testament, we see that really the key battle is fought over what we believe. And are you listening to the lies in your head, right? The, the, the liar, the one that kind of whispers in your ear, oh, they're terrible, or ooh, they're out to get you. Or, you know, I mean, there's all these lies and these voices kind of constantly going through our, through our head. And it goes back to the original lie that Satan gave to Adam and Eve in the beginning. He said, God doesn't want you to be your own God. Because if you were your own God, then you'd really have paradise. This paradise where everything's perfect and happy, it's nothing compared to this ultimate paradise of being your own God. And then, of course, the world was plunged into death and chaos, the world that we live in now. So that lie is still whispered to us today. And so some of us... The word of hope, the word of grace is snatched away from us because Satan snatches it away by whispering that lie and we believe the lie. We accept heartily the message of what Satan is saying instead of believing the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. The other way that, that, that it doesn't take root is in verse 16. In verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, they immediately fall away. This is the other way that we miss it, right? This is the other way that we reject it. Is at first, we're like, yeah, that's awesome, I'm in. I love Jesus, I'm in, I'm in the club. But as soon as anything hard happens, we're like, oh, well, forget this. Jesus, I thought you were going to solve all my problems. Jesus, I thought everything was going to be perfect. And so if it's not perfect, I'm not in. I don't want to follow you anymore. When Jesus promises a future heaven when everything will be perfect, but the now is not perfect yet. And so that's another way that we reject the gospel. Another way that we throw out the seed. And then the last one is in verse 18. Others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. So this last way of rejecting are those that are sown, he says, among thorns. It says, The cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So these thorns come in and choke the word, these, these weeds, right? And in these other parables we've seen, in Matthew and other parables we've seen in Mark, there's this, 
There's this growth of good things and growth of bad things. It's simultaneously happening in the world that we live in now. I thought a good example of this was poison ivy. For those of you that don't know how to recognize it, here it is. Uh, It often has like a red stem too around here. I think there's different varieties in different parts of the country. So around here often it has like a red vein on it kind of. Any of you ever gotten poison ivy really bad? Gotten in a mess of it? Yeah, some of you. Some of you not. I I feel really bitter towards those of you that have never gotten it. but, okay, I'm over it now. Um, I've gotten it really bad multiple times in my life. The, a couple of weeks before we got married, uh, I got it so bad that my eyes were like swollen up like I could barely see, right? And I had to have all these steroids and stuff so I could get normal looking in time for my, my wedding. Um, it's, it's just, it's terrible, right? It makes me itch and break out. And what's really cool is I think I finally built up a resistance because I don't get it quite as bad now, 20 years later, as I used to. Um, but it just used to just tear up my skin and cause me all kinds of problems. This is kind of the analogy that Jesus has of these weeds, of these bad things that grow up and cause pain, right? Maybe you've been stung by a stinging nettle or thorns or briars out in the country, but there's all these things, these plants that grow that just hurt, right? That just cause pain. And interestingly, what Jesus says, the, the poison ivy, the, the weeds that choke, the thorns and thistles in the world for us, he, he describes them as the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things. He says those are the things that we think are good things, right? The cares of the world, like everyday life and the desire for riches and we, we just want to prosper and we want things to go well. Those are the things that can choke out the gospel taking root in our lives. This, this just desire for, I just want things to be good. I just want to be stable, right? I just want to have the nice house. I just want to have the perfect family. I just want to have financial stability. That, that lust for those things can choke out the Word in our lives. Because that can keep us from taking root. That can keep us from bearing fruit and really receiving the Gospel with joy. And I think the, the way it does that is it becomes a competing Gospel. It becomes another good news that we're believing, Right? We're believing, well, no, this job is going to save me. No, this perfect family is going to save me. No, this account is going to save me or this relationship is going to save me or whatever it is, it becomes this alternate gospel, this parallel universe where we think this is really my Savior. Sure, sure, I've been to church. I received Jesus. I like all that. That's good. We do that on Sunday. But, you know, 9 to 5, this is my Savior. This is what's going to save me and this is what I'm going to invest all my time in. And Jesus says that can choke out the word that can be the poison ivy that just looks like a harmless plant but really starts to kill us and we have to beware and we have to watch out and that leads us to the final charge and this I think I said I think I said this earlier this is really the central charge of this text like at one level Jesus is saying this is how I operate in the world I'm going to share this message And that you should be okay with that if you're on my team. I'm not fixing everything right now, but I'm giving the world this extended time to receive this message that I'm spreading. Okay? And so we should be following those methods. But more important than the message of spreading the Word is that we would receive the Word ourselves. That we would hear it. And so most important is that we would follow by hearing ourselves. That we would receive that message ourselves. That we would take in that seed of the Word that is scattered personally. 
What's really interesting is in the Greek tense here, there's this uh, weird thing. Uh, the, the Greek past tense is called the aorist, and it doesn't line up exactly with, with English grammar, and I'm not even really that good at English grammar anyway, so don't worry. But uh, the, the aorist in the Greek, it has this like point-in-time emphasis. So it's not so much that something was in the past time-wise, but really the emphasis is that it is like a, a one-time event. Okay, and So that's all of the other hearers they heard one time. They heard one time. They heard one time. And then the final one, the one who receives it and who bears fruit, is hearing. It is an ongoing aspect. It's called the continuous aspect of the present tense. So the challenge for us is, are we hearing? Like if I talk to you about your faith in God, and I want to be careful how I say this, I don't want it to be all about something that happened 20 years ago. Do you you see what I'm saying? I saw this a lot when I was a youth pastor. I'd ask kids about their relationship with Christ, and they're like, well, my mom told me that I prayed this prayer when I was six. I'm like, well, well, no, what about Jesus? I mean, are you, are you today trusting Him? And that would be my challenge for you as well. That's great where it started. I mean, where it started is awesome. I still remember where my relationship with Christ started, and I celebrate that, right? But am I hearing today? Is it present tense? Is it an ongoing thing? Am I continuing to welcome the Word into my soul as my only hope, as the only thing that's going to give me life? Or am I being lured away by these other things? He says in verse 8, "...other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold." And he said, "...he who has ears to hear, let him hear." That's the central charge. Are you hearing Him? Are you receiving Him right now? Not yesterday, right now are you hearing Him? Are you listening? Verse 10, when he's explaining it to those around him, the twelve started asking him, he said, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. It's all stories. So they may indeed see, but not perceive, and indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. There's two ways to hear. You can hear, right? We all hear. The seed's scattered everywhere, but are you really hearing? Are you really taking it in? And he said to them, Do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? He's not saying this is like a magic key to unlock all the other parables. He's saying you're not going to get anything unless you get it, right? You can't hear anything unless you can hear. Going back again to the analogy, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We need God to open up our ears. It's not just a skill, right? talked before, my wife is beginning to kind of lose her hearing. She's got hearing aids now. He's not talking about that. He's trying to, do you have a heart that can accept what God is doing for you? Are you receptive to God's plan in the world? If you skip down to 420, the end of it, where he describes that final one, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. It's incredibly productive. You could almost say supernaturally productive and fruitful. And he says the process is they hear it, present tense, they're hearing it, they're still hearing it. You're hearing it right now. And he also says accepting it. This is also, uh, the same word for accept is also used in 1 Corinthians 2.14 where he says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We need the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual ears to accept it. And this word accept could really be translated welcome. 
It's more of kind of a heart thing. It's not just uh, one of the other soils that nothing happened that said he hears it and he receives it. And then here you see hear and accept. This one is really stronger. It's more of a welcome. Like, are you inviting it in? Are you inviting the word into your heart? One of the ways that this is described in the Old Testament is the concept of a plant being planted by streams of water, right? I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of analogy that's used in the Old Testament. It's in both Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 where it says, if basically you tap your roots into God and into His Word, you're like a tree that has water. How many of you are kind of new to Central Texas? Raise your hand if you're kind of new to the area. Okay, it's about half of you or a third of you. And you may have noticed when you're out driving in the country, there's like a lot of flat and nothing, right? And then there you'll see like a row of trees. You ever wonder, where that row of trees come from? Well, there's a stream there, okay? And that's the image. So Central Texas, similar to the country of Israel, in that it's a semi-arid, not a complete desert, but a kind of semi-desert place. And the Bible says that if you tap your roots into Jesus, into His Word, into who He is, if you trust in Him, you're like a plant that has water, right? This summer, if you didn't want to spend money watering when we were in the worst drought in like a million years, and you had a baby tree out there and you didn't water it, it just died, right? But if you watered it, it grew and it did well. And trees, after they've been watered for years and years, even when a drought comes and there's no water, they still do well. Jeremiah, uh, uh, or excuse me, Psalm 1 says it this way. Psalm 1 2 says, His delight, the righteous man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. It's just a picture of, of abundance, right? Of the tree that's growing, that has leaves. Jeremiah 17 gives the exact same image. And then he gives kind of the negative, what it looks like when it doesn't turn out. It says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. The... the The picture that the Bible holds out is if you trust in yourself, in your own ability to manage, in your own ability to be your own God as Adam and Eve were lured towards, if you trust in your flesh, in your own strength, then you'll be like this shrub that withers. You'll just die. But if you trust in Him, He'll give you prosperity. Again, not not everything goes well, not you're rich, not He magically pays all your bills if you trust in Jesus. But this... Prosperity, this ability to thrive even in the midst of pain and difficulty now, as you're looking forward to that day, we call it heaven, when you will be given a new body, when you won't suffer anymore, when all things will be made right, when everything will be perfect. The goal is to tap our roots into Him, to to dig down deep. And it's not always something you can see. It's not something I can see. I can't, just like the roots of a plant are under the ground, we don't really see them. I mean, this is a cool picture because it's a cross-section. But what makes it a cool picture is you, you don't normally see that, right? You don't normally see 20 feet under the ground where the roots are going and the aquifer of water down there that they're tapping into. You, you don't see all of that, but, but here you can see it. And that's the challenge. You don't see people's hearts. We don't see what we're really trusting in, but the calls that we would hear, that we would welcome the Word into our heart, that we would tap into Him and that we would trust Him. I wanted to wrap up 
by looking at another gospel where Jesus uses similar analogies, but kind of what's cool for Jesus is he, he breaks the rules sometimes and he'll spin multiple metaphors on top of themselves. And in John 12, he talks about the seed analogy again. And we've seen that the, the seed is the word and the sower is sowing the word, right? And in John, Jesus makes it clear that he is the word. Like not only is he sharing this message, but he is the message himself. In John twelve twenty four, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Kind of a retelling of Mark 10.45, you know, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Connecting that with this idea that the Son of Man is casting these seeds out, and ultimately the seed is Himself. I mean, ultimately what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world is that God not only has these righteous standards, but He meets them for us. That He gives Himself to die in our place. We can't meet those standards. We can't measure up. So the good news of this message, the seed that, is, that we're spreading, that we're sharing, is that my hope is not in me. My hope is in the Jesus who died for me, who gave Himself for me. And only that hope can transform us into the kind of people that give ourselves for others. We'll never get outside of our own selfishness apart from the hope of a God who gave Himself up for us. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You loved us so much that you gave your Son Jesus for us. And God, I pray that you would allow us to hear. Give us ears to hear. Father, I pray for those this morning who have put their trust in past experiences but are not trusting in you. God, I pray that you would soften their hearts so that they would receive you, that they would hear you even now and place their trust in you as their only hope. God, we thank you that you give us grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.